This is the Raising Athletes Podcast, Season 1, Episode 9, with five-time Olympian Danielle Scott Ahuda. Hi. This is, I'm, <laughs> Once you know it's for real, you're like, uh, <laughs> Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast, hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us <laughs> about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Today, we're excited to have with us Danielle Scott Aruda. Danielle was a middle blocker who grew up in Louisiana and attended Long Beach State University. She was a three-time first-team American Volleyball Coaches Association All-American and was the National Player of the Year in 1993. She's the first Big West student athlete to earn all-conference accolades in two sports in one season, being both basketball and volleyball. In 1993, she led the 49ers to the NCAA National Championship. She won the Honda Sports Award as the top college volleyball player. She was ABCA All-Northwest Region and the Big West Conference Player of the Year as she led the nation in the hitting percentage. In 1992, she was the Big West Conference Player of the Year and helped Long Beach State to the NCAA Summit Finals. In 1991, she helped Long Beach State to the NCAA Championship match. In 1994, Danielle joined the U.S. National Volleyball Team, and two years after that, she made her Olympic debut in Atlanta. Sixteen years after that, she made the fifth and final Olympic appearance at the London Games in 2012. In 2016, Scott Arruda was inducted into the International Volleyball Hall of Fame. A middle blocker, she is the only American woman indoor volleyball, volleyball player to have been part of five Olympic teams, all while playing in more than 400 matches for USA Volleyball and winning silver medals in 2008 and 2012. While Danielle said she's thankful for the genetics that helped her avoid serious injuries and stay healthy, and fit. She said, it's the passion for the game that kept her going for so long. Welcome, Danielle. Hello, and welcome, Danielle. Today, our guest is Danielle Scott Aruda. We are so excited to have you on. Um, we not only like the, the college resume is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous, but then you, you add on to that not one, not two, not three, not four, but five Olympics. It's, it's really mind blowing. And I'm so thrilled that through a mutual friend, we were able to connect because we would love, we love talking to 
athletes and the fact that you're a parent as well, right, is we're talking to a lot of parents and parents are trying to figure and navigate we call the giant hairball, $16 billion hairball of youth sports. And you have a seven-year-old daughter. So today we want to dive in and talk to you about how you choose to do life as a peak performer because you've done it in so many different aspects um, of your life, not just volleyball, right? So with that, Susie, I think is going to jump in first and ask you a few questions. So okay. we're going to begin with your journey. Like, um, what age did you discover volleyball? Like, how did this show up in your life? Okay. So first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show and give you a Portuguese 101. So the two <laughs> R's sound like H, so that would be Ahuda. Oh, good. Good to know. Thank you. <laughs> and then um, Giuliani just had a birthday. She is now eight years old. So oh, happy but, birthday. Um, Yes, thank you. She had a great time. Um, we, we had a lot of fun. Skate Galaxy, she had a spa party. It was a fun celebration. <laughs> um, but, okay, so how did I get started with volleyball? Mm-hmm. Is the question? Yeah, how did it show up for you? How did it show up for me? So, I guess, you know, back when, when they had PE um, introduced as a unit in uh, elementary school, was my first introduction. Um, and, uh, when I went to middle school, sixth graders back then could not participate in any sports. So, um, coming from being shy and finding that, you know, sports was something that was interesting for me, um, as a sixth grader, instead of waiting until being a seventh grader, I became a team manager. So I was a water girl, uh, volleyball, kind of like Adam Sandler, the water boy. <laughs> Although I didn't make that noise, ah, whatever. Um, but uh, so that's how I got started. And then the coach would sometimes throw me in the drills and things. Um, but I couldn't actually compete until my seventh grade year. And I didn't actually start club volleyball until my sophomore year in high school. Uh, started club volleyball and club uh, basketball, well, AAU basketball. Nice. Um so, like, when it, at one point did you think, oh, I want to, I, I think I want to do this for real. I think I want to play in college. And, you know, and then, you, you know, and then what was that path towards Long Beach State? How did, how did that all happen? Right. So, um, I, like I said, I got started with club volleyball as a sophomore. And that's when it was like a big eye opener. Like, the volleyball was more intense. We traveled. And that's where I saw that I could actually earn a scholarship through the sport. Um, you know, it was in that, yeah, basically that was it. I was introduced to um, getting recruited and what that was all about. Um, I had opportunities all over the country for volleyball, basketball, and even some track and field. Um, and I took my visits to um, five different, uh, five different colleges. And I took unofficial vi- visits to LSU and, um, was it uh, up north? I can't think of it right now. But at any rate, um, Ryan ended up coming down twice to invite me out to go with to go to Long Beach State. I thought that I would go to Georgia and actually committed with mm-hmm. my mom to go to Georgia because I was like, well, it's not so far away. I could be a dual sport starter for both because they were freshmen for both, still in a top 20 program. They both, both schools had what I thought I was going to major in. Um, but then ultimately Brian came down and convinced like, no, if you're going to go and have a great career, California is going to be the place for you to go. And, um, I will be your father figure. I'll take care of you. Convince my parents, you know, my mom, mm-hmm. 
that allowed me to travel across the country, a whole new world, coming from <laughs> Louisiana. And um, that's how I, I went to Long Beach. And I, I can't have any complaints from my, my city there, my tenure there, because I, I did turn out to have a, a great career. So, um, yes, you did, by the way. <laughs> but uh, so I have a question, like, how did you decide, like, basketball, track, volleyball? Like, what got you to, like, focus on that one? Right. Well, I think, you know, having to been able to experience all, because a lot of times the kids are being forced to choose early on. Yeah. For me, you know, I'm exposed to my daughter to everything. She does arts with drama, art. Um, she does piano. She does, you know, all these different things. We're in basketball, soccer just finished. I think it just makes you a well-rounded player. So I did volleyball, basketball, softball, track and field through high school. I actually did a semester of track and field as well in college, but I was a dual, dual sport athlete with volleyball and basketball. And then after that, um, I ended up choosing volleyball mostly because I loved um, just the different dynamics. You can be powerful graceful all the teamwork and the different skills um that were required you know to be in the sport and but mostly being a part of that environment and the teamwork um was how what drew me most more to volleyball and then I was blessed to be talented and uh, (laughs) (laughs) and that more in in the volleyball kind of excluded I guess more than the volleyball but yeah so that's how I ended up deciding to go with volleyball, but I was blessed to be able to be, you know, dual, almost triple, yeah. you know, even through college. That's, yeah. <laughs> all righty. So you want to move on to the mindset of this all? Yeah. So I want to, I want to start by pushing back on you to say, you say, oh, I was blessed to be talented. But if you're familiar with um, Carol Dweck's work with the book Mindset, she talks about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Right. 80% of us, 80, 85% of us have a fixed mindset, right? You don't come out of the womb playing Chopin. You don't come out of the womb playing at Long Beach State. You come out of the womb deciding whether or not things are possible. And then you have life experiences that either reinforce that or take that away from you in your mind, right? You clearly have an amazing growth mindset because for you to constantly be, hey, I could try this and I can try that and I can. So I would love to peek behind the curtain of, I mean, even today, and maybe we can get into a little later about you talking, playing with, playing piano with your daughter. At what age? (laughs) You're starting piano, right? That's amazing, right? (laughs) A lot of people would say, ah, I'm too old for that. Oh, the ship has sailed. I should have done that when I was a little kid. But to understand, you know, so do you have, can you speak at all, or is that too nebulous, about your mindset when you approach something new? Like, does that, where does fear lie? Maybe you don't have fear, or do you lean into fear? Do you just embrace fear? How how does that show up for you? Well, coming from my mom, she would have said that I would have been a weightlifter because she said at six months, I was lifting the pillow and I would not let it go. So <laughs> but I went on to the other course. I think, um, I think there's, there's always a fear. It's just how you deal with it and approach it and see things more as, you know, a challenge than an obstacle, you know? Um, 
So when I try different things, there's some nerves in it and all, but it's like, um, I believe it's possible. So I think, Mm -hmm. um, coming from a place of belief that you can do something, having like a goal, um, of what you like to accomplish and enjoying the process through it all will allow you um, to overcome a fear that you might have in taking on a new challenge. So like with my daughter, um, I mean, maybe you said you're going to talk about it later, but with the piano thing, um, she was struggling with piano. She started at three. Then we took a break when we went to to, um, Brazil. When we came back, I introduced her to her again and she was like, I don't know. And I couldn't help her. So I was just like, well, maybe it'll be fun if I could be able to do it with her. It'd be time that we can spend together. And I, I introduced it to her as like, hey, you know, maybe you can show me what you're doing. You can help mommy. You can teach mommy. And we can do this thing together. And of all her activities, piano became the thing that she liked most. And I, I think it's just because of the time we have together. But um, Yeah, I think once you decide on what you want to do or the new experience you like to have, just being invested in that and knowing that there'll be challenges, maybe you won't be the best at it, but um, look at the little positive things that you are improving on or how you're challenging yourself or how you feel after you've finally gotten whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you made some progress and celebrating that. I think that's how you try different things and overcome some of the challenges that you might be having within or face or see as such a big obstacle when, when you start doing it, it's really not so bad. I love that. Can you talk us through what would, what, if you have a memory or two of one of the biggest setbacks you've ever had, like what, how do you handle failure? Right. Or does that happen for you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's going to be failure. I mean, you're not going to have successes without some failures. I think it's um, how you respond to it. So I know one of my biggest challenges in making my uh, fifth Olympic Games, um, one was age. I couldn't do anything about that. But um, I remember spraining my ankle like, two days before, no, it was like a a week maybe before uh, our competition. I'd just been named to the team. I'd been working to get back into the traveling group, but it was always, no, not yet. You're improving on these skills. Um, I see that you're better, uh, but no, not yet. So (laughs) I held on to the not yet and I continued to work. And, you know, I remember the coach coming in and touching me on the shoulder as I'm, you know, doing my icing and I'm just trying to get back out there. I'm like, just give me three days. I'll be back out there. I know I can show you some progress and be ready to go. And I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, don't worry about this one. Um, you know, we'll be okay. And I was like, wow, I, I, I guess I'm not super valued what they can, they can do without me. No, I want to show what I can contribute to the team. Um, and so instead of sulking in that, I still was like determined to, to show him that I would be ready. And, you know, miraculously, you know, I set my clock in the morning, like in the AM, I did icing, I did the, the compression machine. I did everything that was in my control to be able to, um, have the outcome I was looking for. It didn't happen, but it was an opportunity. Okay. I didn't get any failures. Um, 
that you might come across, you know, just reminding yourself, okay, that was then, what's next? Let me smile and get going. I love that. And it shows what I call it priming the pump. So every morning you get to decide at, you know, one to 10, where, where your gauge is at. And, mm-hmm. so, and, and there's always going to be a morning where you're like, ah, I don't want to go to the gym, right? But <laughs> where, where are, where's your thermostat? If it's at a two, it's going to get it, be really hard to get yourself out of bed. But what do you, and maybe you don't even know you do this, but do you have, do you meditate? Do you pray? Do you have any other tools that you use to help you? Because if you're sitting in the weight room and the coach is saying you're not going, most people would be like, well, the heck with you and not forget this and why try? But you didn't. You said, right. I'm, I'm going to make this happen. And that's usually the difference between somebody who's moderately successful and who's really successful. The really successful people never say die. They don't just don't quit, right? Regardless yeah. of what the outcome is. We, most average people get so attached to the outcome. And when the outcome isn't what we expect, ugh. I suck, whatever, they suck, whatever, we start blaming. But do you have any, I call them, like I have a morning ritual. Do you have a morning ritual? Do you use prayer? What are your tools in your quiver of things that keep your um, pump primed? <laughs> All right. Um, so I, um, I wake up and I usually take me a deep breath and uh, I immediately put a smile on my face, literally. Mm-hmm. And then I become thankful. Lord, thank you for waking me up today. I go into prayer. And then I open my Bible app. And mm-hmm. today's verse, I wrote it down, was perfect for like how I like to wake up in the morning. It's First Thessalonians. And it was like, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thoughtful in all circumstances, for this is the God's will for who you belong to in Christ. And so that's what I try to do. I just try to be joyous. I try to be happy. Like even if I'm down, I, I try to turn that around. Like you said, you have the power to decide how the rest of your day is going. And, and I also share that with my daughter. Sometimes she's like, oh, I don't want to get up. I want to sleep. And some morning it's like really bad and she gets in the tears. I was like, no, honey, let's take a breath. Let's think about it. Oh, I'll bring out the tickle monster or something to kind of get her <laughs> laughing and joyous because you can easily change your mood just by putting a smile on your face. But yeah, I like to pray. I read, um, you know, my, my daily verse and then I'll follow a Bible plan um, that whatever we're studying at the moment. And then also uh, my daughter and I, we do like I am statements. You know, so that helps keep us going, keep us grounded in kind of what we expect our day to be like. So I am a leader. I'm a good listener. You know, I can do my best. I'm beautiful. A lot of little I'm enough, you know, a lot of affirmations of who we are. And that kind of helps set the tone for our day. Mm, I love that. Do you, do, do you guys do a different one every morning or do you do the same ones every morning? Um, the, the I am statements. Right. We do pretty similar ones. Uh-huh. Um, but if something might have happened the day before um, that we can say that how we want it to be differently the next day, then uh, if she doesn't remember, then I'll say a statement and then, you know, and we'll know that it may have been, maybe she'll get it or not, that it was in reference to something that happened. Okay. This mm-hmm. is how I can do better with that today. If I'm in, um, confronted with whatever it is, or if that situation happens. So I'm just going to throw a side note in here for parents, because what you're saying is so, 
it's such a strong way of parenting. And, you know, I know a lot of people talk about I am statements, but for your parents that are listening, what you're hearing is like, you have an I am statement that you can create, you, you can come up with three to five characteristics that you want to enhance or that you already are, like I am powerful and disciplined and loving and fun. Uh, and then you have your kids come up, up with, you know, two or three, one to three even, you know, mm-hmm. I am kind, loving, and you know, thoughtful. I am, you know, joyous, strong, and disciplined. And, you know, just say them throughout the day together. And for um, parents, you know, what a lot of us, well, at least I didn't know this raising four sons, our core beliefs are set by age seven. And so especially you people with the kids under seven listening to have them do, I mean, every child needs, it's great to do I am statements, but those little ones don't think they're too young. Like you're saying, start it now. So they, they create that core belief that they, that they are strong and they are capable. I do that with my little three-year-old grandson. I'm like, are you capable? I am capable. Are you fun? I am fun. You know, I give him the words and he repeats them. And so it's just, I just wanted to throw that in for you parents out there that your kids aren't too young at any age to start this. And not even, not just the kids. Even and the adults. <laughs> yeah. I, really, I didn't start affirmations until a lot later. Like I started with the vision boards, but I wasn't really consistent with it. Like putting what I wanted to do, accomplish the things I wanted to do, like on a vision board or like writing down goals or saying affirmations and things consistently until later in my career. And, you know, I think all this sports psychology and stuff came about, came about a little bit later as I was older, actually more prevalent into the forefront of sports. But man, if I had that, especially as a kid, like, you know, all the negative talk that I heard growing up, I would have been able to stand firm and like, no, this is who I am. It doesn't matter yeah. what you're saying. This is who I am. I believe this is what I can do. And it just creates belief and confidence that um, you might lack. Um, until you realize, hey, those are just words. You know, you don't have to believe what someone else is saying. You can create your own belief and your own truth about yourself. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. And what you say about gratitude is so key. My morning ritual is meditation and then journaling. And did you know that our brains don't know the difference of whether we've done something or we've just written about doing something? So when we write as if it's already happened, what we're bringing, same thing that the vision board does, right? Then you put it into words and you read it out loud. I am so grateful that today I got to go speak to the blah, 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 that I, today I made this team, that today I hit the home run that I really wanted to. Your brain, start, you're actually, oh, well, that already happened. You, you're remembering the future. You're actually creating the future you want. Mm. Very, very powerful, right? Very powerful. Yeah. And- a useful tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I'm also fascinated by you chasing after a WNBA. So you're in the middle of like killing it in volleyball. <laughs> but it's like, she's amazing. She's up doing all these Olympics. And then you're like, oh, I think I'm going to go try out for the WNBA. Can you? And, and for you guys out there that don't know what the WNBA is, this Women's National Basketball Association. And that's incredible that you went for that too. My dear. Oh my gosh. So continue on. Yes. Yeah. So um, about seven years, I think, after my collegiate eligibility was over, the WNBA came about. So I was like, I've been playing abroad for several years. And um, I was like, wow, 
wouldn't it be nice to be able to play at home in front of a home crowd and not have to travel, even if just for these few months? And uh, I said, well, I'm going to do it. So I was living in California at the time. The team was in, um, in San Diego. So I made some contacts and I was uh, allowed to travel, uh, not travel, but to um, train with the Los Angeles Sparks. And so the first year I didn't make it, but I was allowed to come and go and train. So the next year I was invited back. And so I trained with them and I still didn't make it. So the, the stay was short. And then finally I trained with them, didn't make it. And then I was invited to Portland Fire. So I was like, yes, this is it. I'm going to have another opportunity a new setting, whatever. So I go in, I'm named to the training roster and it's, it seems like it's going well. And then they cut me right before the first opening um, preseason game. I was like, ah, so um, didn't quite turn out how I wanted it, but um, it was a great experience. You know, I enjoyed the challenge while I was there. You know, I wasn't really looking to be the main scorer. I was more of the rebounder, kind of like put the ball back up and the hustle defense. I love the defense um, in basketball. And so, yeah, it was it was really <laughs> wonderful to, to have that experience. See, and again, what I hear you saying is you have grit because you have this long-term vision that you're willing to get rejected, not once, not twice, not three times. And that's, again, for the parents out there listening, like, our kid doesn't make X, Y, or Z team. Oh, I guess it's not meant to be. No. How big is the dream, right? Like, right. H- how much do you want it? And you're right. willing to go back to the, to, to the home plate and hit again or stand in the court and shoot again, even though they keep telling you no, right. <laughs> which you then apply to. Uh, and if, for the kids, like, if, even if it isn't your sport right now, you're going to take that tenacity and that grit and that resilience and and you're going to apply it to the next thing in your life, right? Because sure. that's how you do life, right? Right. So what I learned from that is, you know, now looking back, I was like, it was basically insanity. Okay, so I had this goal to make this team, <laughs> but I really didn't do anything differently to prepare to make the team. So I got the invite. I was like, yes, this is going to be the year. And I worked hard and I ran and I... I did what I was supposed to do within the skills, but I didn't do anything to develop myself. And ultimately, when I decided to put my shoes back in the closet, I was like, yeah, if I'm not willing to go take a season off from basket, from volleyball and go to and play a season of basketball internationally to get my stats up, to get my skill level up, mm. then there's no way I'm going to be able to make the team. So um, after that, I came to a decision like, okay, I'm established in volleyball. This was a great experience. I'm going to take that and and tuck it away with me. Um, But right now, this is not something I'm going to pursue. I guess I'll just go back to the U.S. Olympic team. I'll go back. (laughs) (laughs) Woe is me. Yeah. It's just like right, it's just like getting back on a bike, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. So when it comes to parenting, like you, you, you spoke about you and your daughter doing the piano lessons and um, for all the parents out there listening right now, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I, I love how you talked about seeing where she was struggling in piano and oftentimes parents will like, well, if she, if she can't figure it out herself or she's not motivated, that's all there is to it. But you saw it differently and you're like, okay, so because in my, in my parenting classes, I say, your kids aren't, they're not here to support our journey, 
our kids chose us to support them in their journey. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, you could see, okay, my daughter, I know she likes piano, but she's just not getting it. So how can I best support her? Hey, what do you think of the idea that you, you know, show me what you learn and we learn this together and boom. And so now it's become one of her all-time favorite things to do at age eight, right? right? Yeah. And, but just laying down that foundation is huge. And, um, and then the other thing, you know, doing the I am statements with her, like, you know, you guys sound like you have a really good relationship and, you know, and that you're always looking at like, how can I support her? What, you know, what would be the, what would be the gifts to give her now that will take her into the, her bigger world, so to speak. Is there anything else you want to add to that when it comes to parenting to share with the people that are listening? Um, I think it's really important to just, you know, check in with your, your child too, just to see where they are, to, to make time to have those daily conversations. Um, I know a lot of times we get into our devices, you know, even I get caught guilty of, you know, I, and I try to preserve whatever times we have of maybe, um, I'll start a conversation and then the phone will ding and I'll look at it and I'll have to be like, no, this is our time you know, this is, I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to give her my full attention, you know, so making sure that we're setting, setting aside time to, to mm-hmm. have those conversations, see how they, their day went, um, and provoke conversations with them because sometimes they don't just tell you what's going on and maybe it come out in tidbits or maybe it come out just before bedtime. Um, but making sure you have that time to connect with your child and not just fill them with the activities. Like we have a lot of activities but we also have our time where we just sit and we talk or we have a fun time that we go and do something together, even outside of our structured piano or like we're going to take some lessons together uh, coming up this summer. Um, just making sure we have time to have those conversations and have those fun moments outside of just structured. Um, yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that um, quality time is so much more important than quantity. It's yes. like what you do when you're together. It doesn't have to be 24-7, but in those moments that you are together, you know, how, how that looks is huge. And, you know, and, and for you parents out there, you know, 95% of what our kids are going to learn is what we model. Mm. So when you're, const- you're constantly modeling, working together, you know, supporting each other, you know, what it looks like to be a leader, what it looks like to be a follower. I mean, follower, it's like all these life lessons that come into play at one time. Sure. And again, how you communicate. You know, I won't know what you're thinking or what you're going through unless you tell me, hey, this happened at school today. Okay, so what did you do when that happened? Okay, um, how, can you ha- how can you handle that differently next time? You know, having, being able to have her communicate for herself versus me jumping in and saying, oh, no, I'm going to go see what happened and get to the bottom <laughs> of it right now. Yeah, you know? that's great talk her through how she can handle the situation first. And obviously if it's something bigger, then, mm-hmm. you know, the parent would have to step in, but yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. This was wonderful. So Danielle, um, can, do you have a, you have a website or something too? We want to give a shout out so that people can check you out. Where can they find you? Yes. Oh. I have a website. I'm like website. I try to write things down before uh, my website. <laughs> <laughs> I don't or Instagram or Facebook or (laughs) I do actually. So I've jumped on and trying to um, be forward moving um, the social media stuff, but I'm still, I don't post as much as I do and and I'm not consistent yet. 
Um, but I'm working towards that. So I have a website. It's um, Danielle Scott Volleyball. Um, dot com. And then also I have Twitter and the handle is at D Scott Ahuda, A-R-R-U-D-A. The Facebook, you know, this was even created by a friend of mine. My <laughs> Instagram was created by the team that I was coaching that year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Facebook is the Danielle Scott fan club. So you can post there. And um, I think my Twitter is kind of linked to it. And then finally, Instagram is Danielle02Scott or Danielle Scott Ahuda if you just looked up my name. So awesome. So we can put all, we'll put that all down with our link to okay. the <laughs> podcast out there. And feel free to share this podcast because with all your people. Yeah. Because you've got such insightful, valuable information for everybody of every level, and especially for our parents out there. So well, valuable. Thank you. For having me on. And yeah, definitely maybe I'll have to seek you out to show me how to put the link. <laughs> we'll, we'll work that out. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah. <laughs> we're teaching it. We're learning every day. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, as a wrap up, we just want to say thank you parents. And if you enjoyed this and you know, another sports parent in your life, a friend or a neighbor or somebody you're standing next to on the sidelines this weekend, um, we would love it. You know, if you would, it would share this podcast and, or give us feedback um, on the, on the iTunes page, you can actually give, rate it and give us a review. We love feedback because that's how we all get better. That's how we improve. So Danielle, thank you so much for being a part of this. We are excited to see what happens next in your journey. Thank you. I appreciate it.